tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Welcome to Tim Fall. Hey, can you do you know take that? You got too loud and it dropped it. Oh, when you when you get okay, loud, it, it is that how you are, dude? All right. Three, two, one. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Fall Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to Okay, dude. I mean, you just have one job. One job. That's it. And say that. And you just Okay, it's fine. Guys, thanks for tuning in to Tim Fall Hat. We love you very much. We want to give a shout out to everybody at Spokane and Tacoma for coming out and rock. Even to, uh, Tacoma, where n- there was nobody in the city, you still came out and rocked. Uh, Spokane, I'm going to be honest with you, I owe you another show. I was just a little off. You know, I'm getting all these things. Great set, great set. Wasn't daddy's best set. And I'm going to be honest with you. So I want to come back and rock. I will make it up for you. It was my first show back of the since dropping my new special hashtag no lives matter. So I owe you another rock. I love you very much. And thank you guys for coming out and supporting us. Uh, join me as always. Samantha, myth, the legend, Xavier Guerrero. What's up? Xavier getting pulled over by cops using that, that fucking uh, English as a second language education to get out of the ticket. I pulled the popular Sam Tripley card. I was like, I'm in Glendale. You know Sam Tripley. He was like, dude, I saw no hashtag no lives matter. And he gave me a fix of ticket. So So, uh, Xavier joins us halfway through this interview. So that's why he won't be there at the beginning because he's in Glendale on the run. Grand Theft Auto style. And Johnny, are they going to be able to see you here at all? No, I don't have my camera set up right now. Okay, Johnny's Johnny's not feeling that good. So Johnny's there as well. Please welcome Jay Nice, Johnny Woodard. How yeah, are I'm, you, Johnny? I'm, I'm doing okay. I just, uh, I, I had to do some stuff during the recording. Johnny ran out of makeup, so he didn't have any makeup. So he yeah, has it. to be that's makeup right, ready. Right, right. Guys, uh, if you want to see me live, uh, some great shows next week. Uh, myself, Xavier Guerrero. Eddie Bravo will be live in Huntington Beach. Huntington Beach will be at the rec room, followed by the next day, the the comedy club in Kansas City. And then guess what? Daddy's coming to Omaha, Nebraska. That's right. We're going to be in Nebraska. We're going to be at the waiting room. All those tickets available at samtribly.com. Guys, there's only 50 tickets left to the 500th. I would suggest it actually lasts 49, 49 tickets left. We're more than a month out and it's almost sold out. If you want to join us, it'd be a good time to grab the tickets because they are moving quickly. Just go to Sam T-shirts be on fire. The, uh, we have limited edition. We have limited edition of Braxis to chicken snake. God, the disobey shirts, 
uh, and new shirts are coming as we speak. I'm getting uh, designing new ones. So uh, if you want to support the show, great way to support the show is go to samtriplee.com. Now uh, go to, excuse me, tinfallhattshirts.com. And uh, if you want to get premium content, and trust me, brother, we're crushing the premium content. All of us are. We're all, is available on a very special website called Rockfin, R-O-K-F-I-N. I have uh, Tinfall Hat Premium, my spiritual podcast, Zero, uh, Conspiracy Social Club, First Look on Broken Sim, and We Don't Smoke the Same is available there. When I Can and Johnny Feels Better, we'll be doing the greatest of all time sports talk as well. So we're talking almost six shows. For $10, $10, uh, the three that I listed at first, I'm doing two shows a week on that. That is six episodes a week for $10. We're talking four to five weeks. That's anywhere from 24 to 30 episodes. You get a premium content. It's a great way to support the show and help all of us live our lives. Okay. Just release show on there. Yeah, I just released my new special, hashtag No Lives Matter. It's available at Sam Tripoli. It's available at Rockfin, and it is available at YouTube now as well. Go check it out. The word is out. People love it. I have to release the audio pretty soon, but right now it's just video. Enjoy the power of rock. Is there anything else? Anything else I forgot? Nope, we're rocking. Just get your tickets. Let's go, people. Oh, oh, yeah. Finally, I have some shows, other shows that I do that I think you might enjoy, and you can listen to them for free. Uh, Cash Daddies is available. That is my financial comedy podcast. Broken Simulation is available for free to listen anywhere you want. And Conspiracy Social Club with Brian Callen. That is, in fact, available for free. Early episodes are wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you listen to, you can listen to free on us. All that we ask is that you go and you go to the Apple podcast and you leave a five-star review. And then you can say anything you want after that on any of these shows. Even we don't smoke the same, anything you want, five-star review, just say five stars. And then you could say anything you want, uh, go off, have a good time. We don't care. Just give us those five stars. Okay. Five stars. Give it to us. Support. Listen to all of our free content. It's for you. I know you're dying for some good stuff, and we're cranking out the episodes. Anything else, gentlemen? No, nope, we're rocking. Let's go. This is a great show. I hope you guys enjoy it. We uh, talk about 9-11, all the occult stuff, and basically how the Bushes are Satanists. Enjoy the we go show. Deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, Very excited to have our our guest. Uh, He is a returning champion. He came back. He was on before. Talked about the Order of the Nine. It was uh, a pretty powerful, powerful podcast. And we're glad to have him back here to celebrate Happy 9-11 Day with us, our annual uh, 9-11 show. Uh, Please welcome author. He's got a book out called The Global death cult please welcome back to the show william ramsey how are you william doing great sam thanks for having me back uh william let's start off the show with are you surprised that 9-11 isn't a hallmark card holiday yet like there isn't like a place to go buy cards that you could send people and uh, because it seemed like they they were trying to push that on us like uh pretty hard at first just something to remember all the time i think that uh 
they would like to have it. At least the, the people who are behind it would like that to be the case. But I think most thinking people agree that there's something really wrong with that event. So I would say uh, <laughs> I'm glad that they're not getting away with putting that out at Hallmark card. Well, I, I agree with you. You know, someone brought up this the other day. It was a meme I saw that, like, how do you expect anyone to understand what is happening on a uh, with the, the global elites with COVID if they still uh, don't question what happened on 9-11 20 years later? And that is a really, really great question. But before we get into it, you have a new book out. So why don't you tell us about your new book? Yeah, I just published a book. The title of it is Global Death Cult. Uh, we talked a little bit about some of the information that was in it last time, I think February or March when we talked, but the full title is Global Death Cult, The Order of Nine Angles, Adam Waffen, and the Slaughter of the Innocents. And it follows this kind of ideology that grew up out of the kind of Nazi movement in or the far right or farthest right movement in the UK and kind of dispersed through the internet and really has um, influenced a lot of events, really negative events in the U.S., the U.K. They actually had within the last two weeks uh, two sacrifices or deaths in Leningrad in Russia that were associated with the Order of Nine Angles. So it's these, these ideas, very pernicious, evil ideas, uh, have seeped through kind of the underground culture of the Internet and influenced events really in, in countries all over the well, in most of the Western world, yeah. So there has been there were there were two sacrifices. Is that what you're saying? Well, where and what what were those? Well, so this group that, that is offshoot. So they have like little cells. So the Order of Nine Angles has what they call a Nexian, but you could it's very similar to like a communist cell or a far right Nazi cell or something. So those there was one of these cells in Russia, and they actually just arrested them within the last two weeks. These two people who I think uh, stabbed a couple of people. So that story, uh, I need to actually update the book with that story. So there's actually been other stories. Adam Waffen is this kind of far right group, uh, Nazi influence group in the US. And they just had a huge story that one of these people who I wrote about in the book has come out and been exposed or ostensibly been exposed in court documents as being an FBI agent who has taken over $100,000 from the government to inform on, on the movement. So there's been things that have happened since I really published this book in May. My God, like the, it's so interesting. It's like the world is a lot, either a lot more peaceful and loving and there's just small bad actors or the world is incredibly worse. And we just got to figure out a way to not allow that to seep into our, 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 our louche, our, our spiritual energy. What do you think the, the true answer is? I, I generally think that the human beings are, are good in general. And I do think that there's a small minority that uh, I think that you could define it as evil, like, you know, at the end of the Lord's prayer, deliver us from evil. And those evil people operate outside commonly established rules. And so you always kind of have to watch out for them. And I think that the order of nine angles and Adam often are two of those groups that people need to watch out for because they really do focus on death, uh, which is the title of the book, but also on killing. And uh, they, they want, they're very determined, at least in their, their writings are very determined. So I do think that it's incumbent upon us and kind of why I wrote the book and really why some journalists really focus on these darker aspects of 
our existence in this world because then people can be informed, they can be exposed, and they kind of know what's going on. So if somebody hopefully reads my book, The Order of Nine Angles, they can understand what a danger this group is. Guys, I want to talk to you about our good friends and long-running sponsors of Tim Fall Hat, Blue Chew. That's right. It's fall. Fall is here, and that means you're going to be inside, and that means bonerific. That's right. There's going to be a lot of time for a lot of boners, and you're going to need help with that, guys, and that's where Blue Chew comes in, right? Blue Chew. Man, I love Blue Chew. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable tablet, and it takes it's at a fraction of the cost, right? I love it. I love Blue Chew. I take it, and I look the girl in the eye, go, prepare for war. That's what I do with my lady. And let's say you're like you're like Xavier. You go both ways. Sometimes you look the guy in the eye and go, it's on like Szechuan. We don't judge here. I don't I don't go on the road unless I take a Blue Chew with me. You can fly with it. I mean, it's always with you. You can fly with Blue Chew. How great is that? You can fly with Blue Chew, okay? The process is very simple to get Blue Chew. Sign up at BlueChew.com. Dot com consult with one of our licensed medical providers and once you're approved you'll receive your prescription within days the best part it's all done online man all online so no visits to the doctor's office no awkward conversations and no waiting in line at the pharmacies you ever wait in line with a chick she's like what you're here for you're like oh dude i need boner pills not anymore bro not anymore right you could walk your dog wave your neighbor with the big tits and be like Tomorrow's the day Action Jackson happens all because of our good friends at Blue Chew. It's really simple, dude. I love Blue Chew. You all love Blue Chew. So here's what we need you to do. We need we got a special deal for our, uh, our listeners for the swarm. Okay. Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code TINFOIL at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's it. What do you get for five bucks? Okay. Bluechew.com promo code TINFOIL to receive your important safety information and we thank blue chew for sponsoring the podcast that's right let's go to bluechew.com promo code tinfoil to receive your first month free visit bluechew.com for more details the question is why do these people do this why would you want to go to the darkness what happens to you as a person on this journey called life that makes you think that death destruction and quote unquote evil is somehow going to allow you to fulfill some kind of goal in life it's a great question i mean it's a very profound question i think if you look through like the book what i learned from this is a lot of people are disaffected a lot of them may have be on the spectrum to a certain extent. So they're vulnerable. They've been online. They're lonely. They're atomized. They don't have good quality habits like being involved in athletics or the arts. And so I think they're susceptible to these ideas that are being disseminated. So I think that uh, a matter of youth, um, something like that. So they don't appreciate things in a wider sense. And now I've had these conversations with other people like the human brain isn't fully developed especially males, these are all males, probably until 20 to 25 years old. So they haven't seen this whole thing. And that's actually interesting because the people who've come out the other side of Nazism or the far right, there's been instances where I've read where they got married and had a child and they like 
looked at their kid and said, what is this I've been dealing with these last couple of years? So I think that there's an appreciation of life as people get older, have children. So I think that the vulnerable really are young, angry, and then there's older people who are foisting these ideas upon them that there's demographic changes, that they're being you know, atomized or they're being tra tread upon. So maybe these fascistic ideas and far-right ideas are much more susceptible. And also typically there's something involved that they're not involved in higher education. So they're almost kind of like, they're almost in a place that they're very susceptible. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I think, you know, you could look at evil and you could also look at, you know, um, people who end up, you know, homeless people who end up as street walkers. Uh, I don't judge anybody. People have to do what they have to do to survive. you know, in particular when you're not hurting people, but the question gets, how do these people end up here? And there tends to be trauma inflicted, like generational trauma inflicted on people. And this notion of if you do this, this will happen. Things will change. Uh, and I think we see that a lot here. But I also believe that, you know, my whole theory on where we live, William, is that it is a realm of some sort. And I, I equate it to more of a haunted house, right? That we live in a haunted house and there are actors within the haunted house. And this haunted house is a very special place. Whoever created it is much bigger than anything I can even comprehend. It's so big. It's so big. And there is a lot of things at work, both high frequency and low frequency. And there are low frequency entities that are here to control just like high frequency ent entities and they get a, a, a hold of somebody and they promise the world or they give them an initial rush that becomes addicted, addictive and they end up chasing that. And that is truly what I believe happens with like with um, addiction, right? Like drugs and alcohol, because your first time you do it, when you listen to people talk about how they became addicted, they talk about how good they felt and how they chase that forever. And over time, that, that, that euphoria dwindled, but the rush of chasing that and getting to that and romanticizing that ends up consuming them. And, you know, that could be also said about money and power and to be given the opportunity of money. And it is the oldest of old, you know, tales of selling your soul to the devil, the promise of this, this, and that in turn for selling your soul and how people do that and what they look at and how they, you know, uh, you know, in this show, we talk a lot about the uh, initiation into certain levels and to, to get in there, like almost like jumping into a gang, they have right. to make sure they have something on you. So you don't go off on them. Because if you both have kind of a gun at each other's heads, you're less likely to both pull the trigger, right? Same thing with having information on a crime. You're more likely, you're less likely to rat on somebody if they could rat on you. And I think all that comes together into this, into this situation where you're able to manipulate people, you know, yes. they call spirits, they call, they call alcohol 
spirits. And, and I do believe that drugs, like in particular crystal meth, uh, have some kind of dark occult energy to them that causes people to let other entities into their life. Well, some of those probably do. I mean, ayahuasca, they always talk about the green man. There's all kinds of spiritual experiences some of these people have. I know people who've done LSD and seen entities, but uh, I do believe the world is a haunted place. There's haunted areas, haunted houses, haunted people. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you want to avoid that. You recognize that they're there and not let that into your mind, you know, outlook and, and let it rot your soul because... For example, all the people I think in Adam Waffen and the Order of Nine Angles have really just kind of given up on trying to be a quality human being and have really embraced the darker elements of uh, the world, the lowest frequency entities, as you put it. You could call it demons. You could you could call it something like that. But these people are not have humanity and humanity's benefit in their mindscape at all. So. So we, you know, uh, within the uh, conspiracy realm and, and the more religious of the conspiracy uh, groups, there, there is often talk of an antichrist. We hear that all the time. Every president that has come in the last 15 to 20 years, uh, someone said that based on all of you know the readings in the bible that it equals up to this person is right. the antichrist we've right. we've heard it with with um obama and we've heard it with Prince trump william i've heard it all yeah trump okay so but it, but if you have to ask me if there was an antichrist and i really do believe this i believe it was alistair crowley i believe that he is the opposite of Christ consciousness. No doubt. And he is, in my humble opinion, the antichrist in which everybody talks about because of his influence and his teachings have spread, just like the teachings of so many uh, spiritual star seeds have, have reached so many. Aleister Crowley seems to be the one whose occult, dark arts, teaching seems to be at the the core and the seed in which all this dark energy festers from i would agree he was really a nexus point and that's really what led me to him it you know it was 9 11 but also just all these other references that i had seen in the common culture whether it was ozzy osbourne or some of these other characters they really looked at him but he even said like i'm going to become the chief of staff to the devil and he his entity like you have to kind of read magic and theory and practice but uh, in there, in a, in a footnote, he says this entity that dictated to him the book of the law, Awas, Lord of the Air, was the devil. He, but he didn't really explain himself in a, he really was kind of an academic of the occult. But yeah, I totally would agree that he, I think he would want to be considered the Antichrist, but he called himself the beast. So he identified with these things that were in the book of Revelation and, uh, I think that, you know, you have to kind of, if you say religious, I think the Antichrist concept comes out of Christianity. So I think that uh, their concept of the Antichrist and the false prophet are supposedly at the end of something that precedes the end of the world and the return of Christ. But I, I think as Aleister Crowley is a concept of an, an Antichrist, there's no doubt. He hated Christianity. He mocked Christ. 
You can read the world's tragedy where he likens it, makes him a homosexual, that his parentage was from the rape of his mother by a bunch of Roman, uh, Roman soldiers. So, I mean, he really besmirched Christ. I think he drew power from transgression. So part of his thing about Christ, and you see that similarity of Christian hatred, people like Hitler or other, um, other kind of dark figures like that. Um, but I do think that Crowley really, really set himself. He had a very bad experience in his childhood. He was part of the exclusive brethren, which was a subset of the Plymouth brethren. And he was really got sick at a Plymouth brethren school and almost died. So I think that really set his heart after his dad died at 12. He really kind of set himself against Christianity and really wanted to be, you know, the chief of staff of the devil. And I think he, he fulfilled his achievement to a certain extent because you can trace the seeds of so many occultists all the way back through Crowley and everything that he aggregated as kind of an occult scholar. He never really worked. So he just put together, spent his time writing books and his output was really remarkable. Um, even just for a literature, a tour, or somebody who writes often, he was extremely prolific, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, here's my opinion on Crowley. And, you know, I, I, as I study the world today and what's going on in the world, I see a lot of um, trust fund kids involved in this. Uh, the, the, the children of the rich. Um, who are born into uh, very, very uh, high-end hospitals, uh, live in houses behind uh, gated communities, go to private schools, go to the best Ivy League schools and private schools, get internships into very high-end jobs, go to uh, exclusive clubs and restaurants, and, and have access to money, power, and prestige very early in their life. And the biggest thing that I notice about them is that they don't get, uh, excuse my language, William, but they don't get idealism fucked out of them. Like many of us do who have to go through it to get to it. Uh, they, do, they don't kind of have to go through the gauntlet of life that kind of resets your idea that, you know, life isn't perfect uh, you know, no need to cry over spilled milk and you can't really judge everybody uh, in, in group group ways. Right. That everybody's an individual and all this stuff and idealism of anything doesn't really work out. And that that involves religion or politics or or um, economics. And, and a great example of what we're seeing right now with these kids is Marxism cultural Marxism. I've also talked about how in sports, I believe that um, analytics is a way for rich kids to insert themselves into the sporting process so that analytics becomes as important as the actual players and coaches. Oh, and that these kids, these Ivy League kids now are telling coaches who have not, who've been playing their whole life how to coach the game making calls down, put this player in, put that. It, they've inserted themselves into a process that they don't naturally fit into. And that's that's the belief in Marxism. That if we Postmodernism, do this, yeah, postmodernism. All of it all is like that. And that, to me, is what Alistair Crowley also represents as well, okay? 
that it is a, a representation of welcome to the show. Uh, where is he? There he is. Xavier Guerrero is joining us. Thank you, Xavier. I know you just got pulled over by law enforcement and uh, glad you can make it. We don't know why you have to break the laws. Please don't. Thank you. Um, but uh, are you okay? I'm good. I was being too Mexican in Glendale. Okay. Did you tell him you know me? Oh, yeah. And I think that's why he just gave me a fix-it ticket. <laughs> Whenever I meet somebody of an ethnic group that I know they're like leader, like if I meet an Indian, I'll tell them, hey, I know Russell Peters. Right. <laughs> They'll be like, okay, you get free big gulp. Gotcha. But back to what I was talking about, the, the, the insert, like Alistair Crowley has a lot of trauma early in his life. Yes. And his trauma affects to how he sees the world. And his connection, the very dark stuff early, you know, we had a, we've had guests on talking about their belief that he had connections to Jack the Ripper. And, and he definitely had connections to Jack the Ripper. There's no question about that. He had a lot of the ties and he bragged about it. There was a book by a woman who was at his magical fraternity called Tiger Woman. And she re recollects a tale of him having scarves that, were directly tied to the Jack the Ripper murders in 18, 1881, maybe. Was that right? So like he definitely his, did have something. He hooks up with his maid. His wife, his mother finds out, kicks, fires the maid. The maid can't find work. Now she's a prostitute and she ends up being one of the victims of the, uh, the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. There's a lot of thought that Jack the Ripper was actually at, um, uh, a, a secret society that was right. pulling these things off. And yeah, that, that was from hell. You can watch the Alan Moore movie with Depp. That's the whole principle of from hell is that it was really a Masonic killing to cover up the impregnation of one of the women by, by somebody of the Royal family at the time. It's truly unbelievable. But the, the, the whole point is that Alistair Crowley, even though his father dies, is of a wealthy enough family to have a maid at that time, right? right. Very wealthy, and, extremely wealthy. And he goes to these schools and he hangs out with these rich kids and these rich kids end up getting in positions of power, which ultimately allow him and his message to be able to spread quicker. That's my opinion. I mean, I look at Hollywood, a lot of people, all these people run Hollywood, those people run. I'll tell you who runs Hollywood, private school kids. Every they're all private school kids. When you go take a meeting there, they have a polish to them, a look to them. They have a talk that they, there's a softness to them and they can tell when you're one of them and when you're not one of them. And they're in, and it, when you speak to speak and talk to talk and shake the hands the way they shake the hands, it's a lot easier to operate. And if you, yeah, and going back to cultural Marxism, that's where all the rich kids come in and, you know, I'm a stand-up comic, and Louis Anderson used to say the difference between when he was young doing comedy and what was a couple of years ago before the internet took over was that the industry then listened to the artist about what was entertaining, and at some point, the artist decided, I mean, the industry decided to start telling the artist what, right, what was, yes, and again, that's, that's rich kids inserting themselves to a process of something they cannot do. I cannot tell you how many failed comedians got into the industry of comedy and was telling people they couldn't do comedy with how to do comedy. You saw that a lot. So that is my opinion on what Elster Crowley represents is this infection of, uh, of a virus that is 
uh, rich, I, I, rich kids. I, yeah. Rich kids, private education. I would say that was the only people that he really ever wanted to talk to. He was not an egalitarian. He believed in the aristocracy. He believed in the class system of England. He called himself the priest to the princes. So he really never, uh, you know, would go out and talk to a group of people, uh, who were the hoi polloi or the middle or lower classes. He treated them with contempt. And one of the, the axioms that pervades all of his work is the slave shall serve. So he really believed in a feudalistic system. And uh, you can see that has traits from in England at that time in the 19th century transposed to the uh, America, which I mean, the, the great presumption or really it's a lie that this country doesn't have an aristocracy. And uh, if you see all these kids and how hard it is to get into some of these private schools, uh, if you're an online family, it's very easy. If your family's multi-generational, but uh, all the private schools here, Andover and all these other ones and the Ivy Leagues are, a lot of it are elites. And uh, I think those are the people who are receptive and susceptible to Crowley's teaching. 100%. There's a combination of guilt of how much they have in life and but you're this- right but i think you know, just to expand on your point they don't have those struggles that the rest of people have who have to pay rent insurance they don't they're bereft of that they're empty of that and so they really see themselves as a different group of people and i think that curly would be in that like he had no concept of money he just blew like what would be the equivalent of 20 million dollars today that was his inheritance and it was gone by the time he was 44. He just didn't comprehend or understand that. He always lived high, highest on the hog, really. And the best you, also don't, you also don't have to be all that smart to join the Ivy League school. We saw all the people buy the people buy the kids in there. People oh, that yeah. earned they didn't struggle for that. We saw them get in trouble. The, the girl from Full House. You can just buy your way in there. It wasn't right. even smarts anymore. Because you got the money. Who, who do you know? I mean, well, take like, a look at uh, David Hogg from Paradise, uh, the school. He he couldn't even get into UCLA. They like, no, we don't you don't have the grades to get in. He got he got accepted by Harvard. Look at Jared Kushner. His dad gave a ton of money to Harvard and ding, he's in, you know. So and it's, and it's not even that, you know. I mean, like let's, let's face it, man. I mean, all of us except for Xavier Guerrero went to college. Only kidding, dude. Uh, we all went to college. I mean, how many of us actually use something that we went to college for. I know Johnny does was a journalist, but now he's a, you know, a low paid intern on the show. So, I mean, like he, I, I mean, how many of us are actually using our college degrees on something? Not really. Not so when we, yeah, not really. what's that? Not really. No. I mean, I yeah. would just say just learning to read and write would be the, the skill that I took away from that, but I'm definitely not teaching or anything like that. No way. Right. But I mean, like, so, so how much of college is important? I'll tell you what college represents when you, when you put, I went to Harvard, I went to Yale, I went to this doors open by people who went to Harvard, went to MIT, went to Yale. That's what it is. And that's why those Ivy leagues were set up. They were all started by the opium families that were, were running the opium trade and they openly did it. 13. I don't know how many Ivy leagues are. I think there was like 13 or something like that. And they were ran by opium families. The skull and crossbones were started by the Russells to give their children a head up 
Uh, when they first started, they were each given to like $100,000 out the gate back in the 1800s. That was a, a lot of money. Oh, and now we see all these guys, these skull and crossbone people end up being um, part of uh, the, the ruling class. Look at the bushes. I mean, right out of skull and bones, the whole bit. Deeply uh, tied to 9-11, all that stuff and all the numerology and all the secret, you know, the tomb and secret libraries, you know. I'm pretty sure that all of Crowley's teachings have, have somehow either to a larger or lesser extent extent influenced the Bushes for sure. Well, I mean, well, I mean, uh, we can get into that um, about who George Bush, uh, who George Bush Jr.'s mama is. We'll get into that in a few. But, you know, I mean, there's there's so much and, and like 9-11. So. You know, we're living in this crazy times right now. If you watch the news all the time, if you're on social media, you think we're in a battle for our souls and the souls of the world. We 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 hear and I, I know that I, I'm going to get some people hit me up. What's happening in Melbourne and Sydney is really bad. I get I talk to people from the rest of Australia. They're like, it's pretty chill here. You look at L.A., you look at New York. Things are crazy. You got people wanting to walk around with hazmat suits, begging for vaccine passports. The rest of the country living like nothing's going on. If you want to wear a mask, you can't. If you don't, we're fine with that as well. Nobody cares. Something is going on here. Okay. We got we got Klaus Schwab, who I'm sure has been like just, you know, probably made love on some of Aleister Crowley's books at some point, right? It's probably got a whole bed of Aleister Crowley books that he makes love with as he's dressed in a, a, a wedding bride's lingerie bikini that he walks on the beach with, right? So that's who these people are. But it is of my belief, Williams, that 9-11 was an occult ritual to bring in dark energy to count in an attempt to counter the the great awakening that has come. And I know people want to go off on Q and what Q represents. I think Q, and this will go back, is stigil magic. That the, that the power elites literally let us know what they were doing because they knew nobody would come and arrest anybody. And if we didn't stop them, that that is karma on us, not on them, which is what stigil magic in fact, is so I do believe 9-11 was an occult ritual to bring in some kind of dark energy energy to battle the forces of light that were going to start appearing in our world uh, with the age of Aquarius. Totally agree. I mean, I think that it's all there. Everything was planned, uh, planned way in advance, probably decades in advance. And it was a way to solidify the the occult overlords in power really for as long as possible. And I think that, you know, the apocalypse means the great revealing, right? So I think that we're almost going through people use like, for example, uh, you know, Q, QAnon talks about the great awakening. It's a theme in American history. There was the original great awakening, supposedly additional religious great awakenings, but this great awakening is taking place now where people can actually test facts online and not, uh, you know, drink right out of the waters that the corporate media is giving you. So there really is a great awakening taking place now with the internet and shows like this and just people talking and comparing notes. So uh, I do think that the grip on power that the, uh, certainly the American elites, but the global elites 
is uh, kind of er or was eroding until COVID. So COVID, I think, put them kind of back in power. And uh, but yeah, I do think that it was a, it was a massive, and I think it really was a you know they talk about pre 9/11, post 9/11. It was really a moment in time where the new world order powers could really express themselves in, in really a potent way that the world really hasn't ever seen. Uh, the ability to go to war in Afghanistan, Iraq, destroy the Twin Towers, really change the legal system here in the United States. Just a mass amount of changes that uh, were really facilitated by the 9-11 event. And predicted. I mean, there's so much. I don't know how much your book or you have gone into research into the physics of 9-11. Uh, we've had Richard Gage on talking about, you know, uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 truth and the physics involved in taking down those buildings and that nobody wants to look, actually look into that. And well, it, took, it takes a ton of energy to take them down, right? That weren't uh, within the buildings themselves. Have you ever looked into E-Team? Anything about the E-Team? I'm not familiar with that. No, what's that? Well, the E-Team was a group of Israeli art students that had four-year uh, passes to the, uh, basically to get into the, into the the uh towers now uh, you can actually find pictures of where the e-team put up e-team on the actual in lights through the offices e-team on the wall uh, on the side i've seen some of that yeah and then that's uh, uh, coordinates exactly where where one of the planes hits on on the plane and then the 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 physics of uh, explosion at the top taking down everything at the bottom right. and how basically the, the 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 twin towers were built to take like three or four planes hitting them at the same right. time because they had already had a, a plane hit the um what is the other big building in Empire New York State Empire building. State Building yeah so they knew that it was uh, potential but. Uh, yeah, there's there's some guys who were saying they were planning on taking them down when they were built, when they were first built. I think it was Paul Laffley who was involved in one of the creating creating the blueprints for it. And people were talking about where are we going to put the shape charges on. So they were planning for the shape charges even at its inception in the 60s, which is really well, there's incredible. A, there's also talk that the towers themselves represented. Uh, some occult symbolism as well they were the whole the whole uh, world trade center was occultic in nature it's a giant 11 it was broken into three parts it was 110 stories tall so it's an 11 you see these great important numbers in western esotericism and crowleyism built in there there was that giant sphere if you remember in the center kyle called the great spherical caryatid and the caryatid is kind of a a statue that holds up a temple. So there was all these elements of this temple concept or temple square referencing Giza and all this other stuff that was in, incorporated into its building. And I mean, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, let's not forget the new one we just saw, the 1109 on the fucking helicopter or uh, the plane in Afghanistan. Yeah. No, I didn't yeah, said that. It, yeah, 1109. For that, what the for the plane that supposedly took off with people holding on to it, and then somebody falls off, and that looks eerily similar to the people jumping off the plane. Yep, right there. 
for people jumping off the plane. Um, I've heard, have you ever heard that 9-11 is actually a tuning fork? So it's supposed to like vibrate too? Like, you know, when you take a tuning fork? Yeah, 100%, yeah. man. There's also the possibilities that it is a uh, stargate of some sort. Sure. And that they were ushering in some serious dark energy. And I say it all the time. Uh, not just that, the Pentagon, there's a lot of stuff. Right. You know, the numerology, I, your book got into that, the numerology behind. Um, I'm pretty sure the Pentagon, when they dug, like the first dig was on 9-11 and 19. I can't remember the date, but it was on a 9-11 too. So they got all this numerology down a long time ago. And they also like, okay, there's a lot of stuff. Each one of the plane numbers is a, right. is, is connected to, to Crowley. Yeah. Yes. So you can say the 11 is really Crowley's prime number. It's a number of magic. So it's always been the number of magic. It's uniting of the macro and micro planes, five and the six symbolized by the hexagram and pentagram. But it suffuses like Crowley's book of the law. The 11 shall be the number and the number of us. So it represents the people. And it just goes on and on. I mean, it's the number of magic in itself. He says it's the number of the new aeon. So he like he writes all this stuff out in magic and theory and practice about the importance of 11 abra, abrahadabra, kind of like abracadabra, but his abrahadabra is 11 uh, letters long. And then do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law, his 11 syllables. So he was very conscious of maintaining the importance of the number 11. And then K, magic with a K, K is 11. So very important that that first plane that hit the tower was uh, flight 11. So they're telling everybody who's into magic, this is what's happening. So if you're not initiated or you haven't come across these books or actually put all that information together, you don't know. But all lot, there's a lot of people in the Western world and maybe globally who knew exactly what was happening when that, was, when that first plane hit. Well, there's, you know, there's the whole theory and I, I, I'm trying to confirm it, but, you know, I'll still talk about it because it's Tim Fall Hat and I do whatever I want, um, that the Bilderberg group was meeting in New York on September 10th, which would put George Bush Sr. in New York the day of the the attacks, which would be the next day, right? So he's in New York around that time, which puts him the second time in one of the most dramatic occult sacrifices in this right, So he was in, I think he was in New York, you say the 10th, but I'm pretty sure he was at the Pentagon on the 11th. He was at, um, I think it was the Four Seasons, and I have to go back and double check that, but I think it was at the Four Seasons within sight of the Pentagon. Oh, okay. So that's where but he might've gone from New York to, uh, to DC, but I would have to double check that. But it's very important to remember that George Bush gave his kind of new world order speech on September 11th, 1990. It's a very famous speech talks about the law of the jungle. So it's literally, they had it down 11 years to the date. And don't forget he was reading my pet goat. Well, that's right. That's son. Junior. I mean, we can get into Junior and all this weird stuff he said. You know, I'm yeah, we'll get into that for sure. Storm. We'll get. But you that. can see these guys are operating, and I think that within their religion, within that elite religion, religion, you have to do certain things. Just like if you're a Christian, Muslim, Jewish, you do. You know, you just got done with Rosh Hashanah, or I think it's today, right? So you celebrate these um, 
very important times. And I think if you are an Illuminist in the Crowley vein, you just have to abide by those rigors and, and have believe in this numerology and inculcate it into uh, your worldly events. I mean, you have to understand the Bushes are total elites. They're not, they're Brahmins. They're not all the Texas stuff and eating, you know, playing horseshoes and eating pork rinds are, are farce. And even George Bush Jr. is an excellent actor because he's convinced most people that he's kind of bumbling. He's a bumbling idiot. And he has that fake draw. It's totally fake, man. It's almost like that girl from uh, Pharaohs or whatever, that girl who had, who had the blood. Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about Sarah Tiana on stage with her fake uh, Southern accent. No, I don't know who that is, but the girl from Pharaohs, <laughs> do you remember the, the, the black Holmes, box yeah. thing? Yeah, Elizabeth Holmes, her whole voice was fake. These guys are actors, man. They all have acting. Um, no, 100%. And, you know, I mean, I want to get into the bushes in a couple minutes, okay. uh, but I want to stay on the actual events, 9-11. And, uh, I mean, so there's a lot of stuff going on. There is also 93. We've, we've discussed this before. The number 93, that's big into Alistair Crowley's, what type of magic does he have? Thelema. 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 Right. So he right. called his religion Thelema. But probably the most specific numbers to Crowley are 93-175. And the way that 93 was important to Crowley is he engaged in part of the Kabbalah called the Gematria, where he would take and calculate, and you can see one of the calculations in my book, but he would calculate the value of words and give in English and give them a numerical value and then add that up. So two of the most important words in his whole Thelemic religion was agape and Thelema, or Thelema means will and agape means love, both adding up to 93. So that for him was like a big, you know, exposure. But he thought that it was a sign. He thought it was more than that. It was a sign of the veracity of the information. That Kabbalic calculation was a sign of the veracity of the great knowledge of the information that was given to him from the book of the law. So it has a very layered meaning within Thelema. So 93, it gets symbolized. So you'll see kind of Jimmy Page, right? You know, Jimmy Page, 93, 93, which represents love under law, love under will, right? So you have love, love agape, will, uh, Thelema. So 93 was very important to Crowley. And I mean, I have all kind of, I lay it down in my book, but uh, 175 is also like very important too. And 77 is also, uh, <laughs> they're all Crowley numbers, really. You can all calculate them back to Crowley. Uh, everything, including the uh, doomsday planes that were flying above uh, Washington that day. And, you know, doomsday planes represent if everything goes chaos, somebody's running the government. And for some reason, for some random ass uh, event, the doomsday planes happened to be in the sky that day. And I believe their number was 93 or. Oh, really? I don't know. One ninety three, or it was one seven. One of those things, but it's, it's uh, it's it, the doomsday planes had that number. It's all coordinated, wow, man. Yeah, it's all coordinated, it, but it just shows incredible power and the ability to structure events and to, and it really just expresses this incredible design of the event. And it ties in actually to all kinds of other things, all the precursors to 9-11, 2001, a space odyssey, Arthur C. Clarke, Kubrick, 
it's really incredible how they planned it and plotted it out. A call comes out of the high masonry or the highest, highest Hold on. levels of Stanley the Kubrick knew about 9 11. Well, I wouldn't say as much, but when the Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke were together in Manhattan, really working together to create 2001 A Space Odyssey, they were literally like a couple blocks from the foundations of the building of 9 11. So they saw the buildings being created. And so Arthur C. Clarke was is, a, I would say, illuminated and a pedophile too, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, but he, they, they started in cold. So what, what their plan was, was Kubrick was going to make a movie and Clark was going to write the book. So they were going to work together and publish them at the same time. And, and Kubrick was a very sharp operator. And what he did is he didn't release his rights to the book. So the book didn't come out at the same time as 2001, A Space Odyssey. But so that movie came out very strange. Time to 2001, little correlation to 9-11. Oh, shit. I yeah. didn't think about yeah, that. Yeah, no, it gets worse because that monolith, that kind of mystery monolith, when you read Arthur C. Clarke's book, you understand the power of the symbol of that monolith because the monolith, you want to guess how tall the monolith is on, on the moon? How tall? It's 11 feet tall. So oh, it's 11 wow. feet tall and its dimensions are a nine and a three. So it's oh. three o'clock. Yeah, it's just incredible. So... I think, yeah, so you have to go read to kind of uh, interpret the movie. You can read Clark's book, and it has all kinds of illuminated numbers. They were hanging out with Burroughs at the same time. So all those things kind of came together. And if you really want to show the kind of pervasiveness of this kind of aristocratic occultism, you can go to the Hilton's Millennium Tower, which is a giant monolith right there. And it's always shown in these buildings as the towers is going down. You'll see this monolith that's a direct copy, almost a direct copy of what's in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Right? Holy cow. Yeah, no, it gets even worse. And then you can go look at the Georgia. <laughs> but wait, it's worse. Yeah, no, go to the Georgia to, uh, Guidestones, right, where you only have a half a million people in the world or half a billion, and it's also designed as a monolith, right? So it's the same dimensions. So somebody is putting these together in different areas. Now, what is your thoughts? Is is somebody directing them to do this? Is it like, okay, uh, hey, man, I want to do Roger Rabbit too. That's great. We need you to work in pedophile symbols, occult symbols, and some weird tranny stuff like can you do that that's the only way we'll do it or do you think it's like or is it just like people like when you look at a lot of disney art there's a lot of homoerotic oh, symbols right, all those circles pedophile circles and all that stuff throughout disney a lot of stuff do you think they're just trying to be smart asses and see if they can get past us or yeah. is this or is this like them just signaling to others that hey I'm on the team. Yes, I think so. I think that's what 9-11 is. I think all those pedophile symbols that are supposed to be secret are that people discovered. But uh, I think that there has been a plan within the occult for a long time. And I think they're in communication with each other in one way or another. And that was the big event was 9-11. That was the big plan. That was year zero of starting off a kind of new, entirely new political culture. And uh, so I do believe a lot of these guys are, I mean, Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick are super intelligent. And it's no, it's no joke that Eyes Wide Shut came out in 1999, along with these other movies like Bike Club and all this stuff. They were all put out, I believe, in that time to hint at what was coming. 
because Fight Club really does hint at 9-11. If you look at that one scene at the very end where the spherical carry out, it rolls out and crashes into a Starbucks. It's right off of the Twin Towers. It's the same thing at the Twin Towers complex. It just truly is, and it goes back to my thought about archons and the haunted house and how we are just animals in the safari and they're they're eliciting a response from us and that response is our our loose our, our spiritual energy and they they want to suck it out from us and the lower our frequency the more they feed off it and it's just some weird ass parasite thing that goes and these are all just parasites that's an interesting you use that because when Crowley was at Cambridge, he says he was surrounded by more or less, uh, <laughs> more or less parasites. I don't remember the exact what I'll have to get it. But I think that you're kind of the theme of even starting out our conversation is these kind of trust fund uh, private school kids and their relation to the rest of us, what they think of themselves. It's almost like a divine right of kings. Like they have a sense of ruling over. You're different. You're unwashed, uncleaned. Uh, we will treat you like serfs. So I think that in a lot of ways, that kind of parasitic quality, all going all the way back to feudal ages, is really there. Like they like they don't mind torturing, mind controlling, mind raping, terrifying, uh, make, make you feel of death. And their attitude towards the average person is horrific, just like Crowley, just like a real monster. And you can. There are stories of him going mountain climbing or beating people up and hitting them with sticks and stuff. Get off, you know. And that's why a lot of he kind of his reputation in mountain climbing got so bad that nobody wanted to go on a climb with him. I think after his last climb. But yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. I mean, hey, uh, you want to go climbing? Fuck you. You're going to hit yeah. me with a rock. What are you? What are you? Am I Charlie Brown? Are you Lucy, asshole? I'm not going to try to kick the ball because I know you're going to pull it every. And his last flight, his last, his last um, climb ended up in the death of a number of people. I think it was Kent catching Junga in uh, Nepal or some of that area. But yeah, I mean, I, so I think that kind of uh, parasitism and you can kind of see it through HG Wells, who was really kind of a Darwinian American psycho type attitude. These, these rich yeah. kids have, yeah. it's like so. when you have everything, you have to go a little harder and, and, you know, they're actually you know, really bored. If you actually talk to them, they're 100%. actually 100%. Yeah. When your food, shelter, and clothing have been taken care of from the moment you are born and you don't have to worry about how rent is going to get paid to the point that, like, daddy buys us a car, daddy buys us a house. Daddy, and, like, listen, man, I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with working your ass off and that your kids can be taken care of. The question is, how do you make sure they're grounded? And that is, that is the fight of any anyone who ascends uh, uh, up the social structure of society. Right. But I mean, if you take a look at like, like pop culture, when, when you look at like the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, who are the quote unquote bad guys in society? The, 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 the jock rich kids, right. The like the, like the, Hey nerd. And they just, you know, and they beat up all the outsiders and they do all that stuff. And, and they're the, the, the real assholes. And now if you take a look at what's going on 
in, in our society, who are the assholes? The social justice warriors, the, the Antifa kids, you know, the Antifa, they're all rich kids who basically played the purge for all of 2019. Right. They went and they burnt down middle class. They beat up people. They shot and killed people. And the DAs didn't prosecute. That is right. privilege. And that is the, that it's the same kids. They just have a different energy before they were jocks. And now they're, they're, they're social justice warrior nerds, but they're all rich kids. All these kids in Portland that are causing all this chaos, all their parents work at Nike, which right. enslaves people in, 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 in day labor camps. Right. I mean, you want to talk about a slave state. I mean, Nike and Apple, they're running slave operations in china practically yeah. I, I love every apple commercial is just like uh, multi-ethnic uh bisexual right. people dancing in the middle of the mall in the parking lot through the forest and then like the people making them are all ethnic people that are in sweatshops and want to uyghurs or something all the way in western china it is and unbelievable the, yeah, they have to put nets on the building so when the people jump out to commit suicide they can't do it they can't have like the relief of death from their predicament. And there's so much like, you know, it's like I've been I've been getting kicked off a lot of social media lately. And I really do 100 percent believe has to do with the fact that I'm talking about cultural Marxism like loudly. And, you know, when words like anti-Semitism or phrases get hurled at me, it does nothing to me. I live with a Jew. OK, <laughs> I've been living with a Jew for 20 years. Okay. Uh, my sponsor is Jewish. Uh, my friend, I mean, like, I love Jews. I love, I, uh, all, all people are part of the universe, but every group has bad apples. And because you have a bad apple doesn't mean a group's bad. The problem is through identity politics, these elite bad apples get ever all the fucking middle class and poor class to defend their actions under the guides of, of, of identity politics. Right. But man, if you take a look at, and cultural Marxism, okay, and what is going on, the destruction of the nuclear family. It's it's like so much of this has to do with a episode I did a long time ago. I need to do it again. Uh Cuckapalooza, I call it, uh, where we break down all the kids who probably weren't their dad really wasn't their kid, their father. And that there's kind of this thing that the rich do where they pass around their wives and it's hot potato and whoever gets stuck raising a kid gets stuck raising a kid. And I'm 20% of relationships that ends up happening. They put statistics at, but you know, that's a big thing with the bushes. Not surprised. Well, I mean, like, what are your thoughts on who Barbara Bush's father is? Right. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, if you look at Barbara Bush's mom, her, I mean, you want to talk about the rich culture. Her name was Pauline Robinson. And I mean, at that time when she was young and these are kind of rich families, she went, the place to go was city of lights, Paris in the roaring twenties. Right. And who happens to be in Paris at the time as she's in Paris Crowley, who just got kicked out of uh, Italy by Mussolini on the orders of Mussolini, actually. So he goes, he's in Paris at the time, and he's with a friend by the name of Harris and his wife, who is uh, O'Hara. And he's kind of a libertine too. So this guy Harris and Crowley were old friends uh, through the kind of literary circles. I think they both wrote for Vanity Fair. 
the magazine, which is still around today. So this is after Crowley was in the U.S. And what Crowley was doing at the time, he was engaged in something. I mean, we can get into all his sex magical stuff, but this was something he called ECL. Do, do it. So ECL stands for erotocomatose lucidity. So what he was doing was trying to do this. So he's always involved in kind of going to the other side or going to a different plane through drugs or whatever. But erotocomatose lucidity, which is one of his many different rituals, they're all coded and have symbols, but they describe certain things. You can talk to, you can kind of discern them from the book of lies and things like that. Gets pretty graphic. But this one was you have sexual congress with a woman or a servitor, what they call the servitor, over and over again until you're almost in a coma. So basically that servitor is supposed to, like if you're done having intercourse with somebody, supposed to re-arouse you, go through the process again. Then if you are done with that process again, re-arouse. I'm trying to be not, you know, not get you uh, censored or whatever. But uh, basically censored. Don't worry. Okay, well, you can go hard too. in the pl- So you basically so have you sex over. The, you're just meant to be like keep going over and over. Right. Again. Over and over again. So the room right over and over until you go out and cruelly would go out and come back and take notes about his travels, right? His workings. There were all kinds of weird workings, did Jurensis working Alamantra. But that one was one of the, so you need to have servitors to do that. Somebody who's a volunteer and Crowley always had these bored rich people or people with uh, who were in the theater or media at that time, helping him out in these rituals, either as a sex magical partner or something like that. And so Pauline Robinson was one of those servitors rumored to be friends through O'Hara and Harris. So they all knew Crowley. She returns from, um, Paris, and when nine months later, she has a child who looks exactly like well, a lot like Crowley, Barbara Bush. Oh, dude, it is the exact face. They have the exact same face. But it's interesting. You can put them side to side, but it's interesting. It ties into what you said about these kind of wealthy people, how their sensibilities are. They're they're not Christians, you know. They don't have the kind of or Jews or whatever traditional kind of man and woman relationships, well, and. I mean, Biden's Catholic, and he just said that abortion's cool. Like, how are you going right. to sit there and say that? It, they're, they're not what they say they are. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can get yeah. into his son, too. That's a whole disaster. Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden is shady as shit. Hyper shady. as shit. His wife and daughter die. He marries his, like, teenage babysitter. I mean, Hunter Biden. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's... I'm pretty sure that. that he's having sex with his niece, or was having sex with his niece, so... Well, I mean, his, his daughters, life. his daughters talk about inappropriate showering. Right. Oh, man, his Bro. laptops were a total mess. I mean, he was having sex with a lot of uh, famous people, too. Like, There's also a lot of theories that George Bush Sr. isn't uh, Prescott's kid. Yeah, I've heard that shift or something like that. I do. I don't think that that has any legitimacy, but I do think that he had an arranged oh. marriage. Yeah, well, we can. Okay, well, we can get into that. <laughs> no, uh, he good, he had an arranged marriage with Barbara, though. Like he was sixteen and she was fourteen when they first had an arrangement. So they got together very young, or maybe he was eighteen and she was sixteen. So I think it was kind of like one of those kind of. Uh, oh, and they were forget together forever. There's ever. no way they didn't fool around, dude. I know people who like like 
dated or got married to the people from high school and they just went through a weird fuck fest for a while that caused a lot of chaos, a lot of chaos. But it just, you know, it's like Janine Garofalo's joke about marrying your high school sweetheart. It's like going to Baskin Robbins and just ordering vanilla. I'll take vanilla. Uh, but well, Bush, I mean, you can talk about rumors with his, uh, I think his secretary. And I, there was a rumor about Bush, I mean, Junior, too. No, sexual relationships. Yeah, senior. Come on, man. He was he was gay. He like he, right. he, he no, was they... like well documented. Like that whole Franklin scandal. The whole Franklin scandal was like boy hookers in right. in the White House, and they had talked right. about the White House. Yeah. Like, what was that doc on Netflix? Where's Johnny? Whatever the right. Johnny Gosh. Yeah. yeah, and then there's a picture that looks like George Bush with a kid who looks uh, a, a guy who looks like it could be Johnny Gosh. Right. I heard a story that like they were at a party and George Bush senior was there and there was some young boy on his lap. So, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of rumors and those kids were being shipped and that was a huge cover up too. Cause once they got public, the Franklin cover up there, those, some of those kids ended up dead. Right. Of course. Well, you know, there was a time uh, about three or four years ago where like right in the middle of the me too movement, when I was really, really going for it, um, a bunch of adult film stars, all just in a, a, a pack, all committed suicide. And it was like super creepy. Yeah, and you're yeah. like somebody, and I knew one of them, she was in the naughty show. Um, she 100% um, was like considered the, the top escort in Los Angeles. And she ended up, Shyla Styles was her name. And she ended up dead. And what hundred percent that makes me think somebody was cleaning up. Those people, they have a lot of side work. Those guys do, those girls do a lot of yachting. They do a lot of uh, international travel. Yeah, right. Um, so you don't know who they've been with or maybe that, yeah, something went wrong and the cleaners went out and yeah, it's sad. I mean, you... I mean, we, there's stories I tell you offline, but they wouldn't be the first prostitutes or porn stars to get off because of some relationship they had with somebody famous. Of course. I mean, like Marilyn Monroe, there's a right. big part of that one. She was some sort of spy, but also like there's supposedly videos of like her getting tag team by the Kennedys, right. you know, like they were at uh, the Cal Neva resort and they were, the Kennedys were all over her, primarily Robert. And she said, I'm done with this. I'm going public. And she was dead. I just did an interview with a guy who just published a book about that, actually. And Robert Kennedy was in California the day of her death. So, I mean, well, the 60s know, were a bloodbath, man. Oh, they were a bloodbath. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what's very interesting, man? I think there's bloodbaths going on right now, but it's not as obvious. I think we've seen the assassination of some very interesting, maybe not politicians, but for sure entertainers, uh, mm. whether it's handkerchiefs or ODs and stuff like that. And everyone's just like, oh, man, it sucks. He killed himself. You're like, dude, it's kind of crazy, man. A bunch of people have all off themselves the exact same way or fentanyl. God rest the souls of a lot of people that uh, uh, we just lost. In entertainment, whether comedians or actors, uh, get well, Kate Quigley, we love you. Um, you know, all that stuff. It's just yeah, like Hollywood's I think that's a dangerous happening. place to be. I got to tell you, there's so many bodies and a lot of those guys run those uh, studios like the mob runs a business. So 
some of those people do not like to be crossed or, or threatened. Let's well, not forget. Let's... Go on, sorry. Was the one that got off. They woke everyone up and everybody's back to, oh, there's no pedophile rings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, those people are called Brian Callen. Pizza <laughs> gay isn't real. Well, what about uh, Jeffrey Epstein? Well, oh, it's totally different. You're like, okay, dude. Epstein was huge and very much involved in Hollywood. And same with Elaine Maxwell, actually. There, I mean, all those people in Hollywood, I mean, he probably would know more than me, but I think they all just were happy when he was dead. They probably wanted him dead. I think Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein had to die. He had too much information on people. He was really running a hellfire club, I think, on that island. And then throwing some blackmail and stuff like that. So 100 percent, dude. And, you know, when when Clinton was uh, there, the, the, the when they interviewed the, the traffic victims, they, the women would be like, he never fooled around with us. He fooled around with the boys. Nobody talked that, about man. that. That was silence. Yes, there's a good chance. I'm being honest with you that three of the last five presidents were gay. Or at least Andy Dick, at least Andy Dick. But I think it's more bisexual to gay. I think Obama's gay. Yes. I think George Bush was gay. And yeah, I, I think Bill Clinton was Andy Dick. And he just wanted to hit holes and ask questions later. Like, that's my honest <laughs> belief. William, you're the best. You just sit there with a straight face. Like, I agree with you. You're, I, mean, I, I totally Dick. agree with you. Nobody will get a reaction out of you. You're like, oh, do you ever do you ever see the picture? Andy Dick. Do you ever boy. see yeah. the picture of Obama? On a couch with some Indian guy, oh, yeah, sitting right next to each other. It's just a huge signpost that the guys get. How about the guy who wrote a press conference like I smoke crack and blew Obama, and, and no, nothing is nobody bats nobody an cares. eyelash. Nobody cares because they probably all know. Did you ever hear about Obama at Man's Country in Chicago? No, what was yeah, that? Yeah, no, that's the gay bar that he was a member of. It was called Man's Country. Hey, listen, dude. Ultimately, I don't even care. Like, I up. do not care what you do with consenting adults get weird as long as it's consenting adults i don't care but for me man the demonization of the homosexual lifestyle is used for complete and utter blackmail purposes yeah. they used to use it now it's not blackmailable the only thing you can blackmail people for now is pedophilia because being so gay weird. wasn't what it was used to do the rumor about obama is that his pickup basketball games they would go out and play basketball and then after the game They'd go back to the locker room, and then uh, that's where the okay, okay, next shot gets topped. Okay, right. whoever whoever right. wins gets topped. Is that cool, brother? That was my Obama, by the way. There's good. Uh, so, so uh, who else do you think would are some uh, some what, what's it, uh, Mark of the Beast or the oh, uh, well, I just yeah. I mean, Who do you think are some children of the beast? I think it's really uh, George Bush Jr. is probably the offspring of Alistair Crowley through his mom. I mean, I think that all the all the indicators are that that's the case. And I don't have any proof. I can't say with any proof. But if you look at the events of 9-11 and the mom and Crowley and what happened after 9-11 and the attitude and just everything that really happened all indicates the cultism through... Bohemian Club, uh, through Skull and Bones, through other groups unknown and unknown. Uh, yeah, I think that people should really be concerned that there are other elitists or other people absorbing ideas of Crowley and uh, putting it in place. I mean, you can go through Hubbard, you can do Parsons, Leary, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, David Bowie. Those are all in my book, Children of the Beast. But uh, 
I mean, just yeah. imagine being Jeb Bush and being so like not smart that you can't like because he was supposed to be the president right. and he just could not get traction. He couldn't who, do it. Who in the public would want another Bush after Bush's administration? I mean, but he was supposed to be before his yeah. his, his son. And I, I think just the timing of it was just really weird. And make no doubts about it, they had to rig Florida, the 2000 election. Because they knew 2001 was coming, which is really weird because Al Gore is straight up a piece of shit and a part of this whole elite Harvard skull and bones scumbag crew. No question. question. And it's like, but they needed to have they needed to have probably along the lines of what you're talking about, which is the, the, the children of the beast in there for the for the ritual. Yeah, no doubt. Can I can I quote you something about the 2000 election from Hunter S. Thompson, who has a very, very shady background, but he was saying, yeah, for sure. This is it. This is there was one exact moment, in fact, when I knew for sure that Al Gore would never be president of the United States, no matter what the experts were saying. And that was when the whole Bush family suddenly appeared on TV and openly scoffed at the idea of Gore winning Florida. It was nonsense, said the candidate. Utter nonsense. Anybody who believed Bush had lost Florida was a fool. The media, all of them were liars and dunces or treacherous whores trying to sabotage his victory. Here was the whole bloody family laughing and hooting and sneering at the dumbness of the whole world on national TV. The old man was the real tip-off. The leer on his face was almost frightening. It was like looking into the eyes of a tall hyena with a living sheep in its mouth. The sheep's fate was sealed, and so was Al Gore's. The whole presidential election, in fact, was rigged and fixed from the start. 100%. And Al Gore could have stopped it he was the vote that would have tipped it into an investigation and what did he do he he abstained and well, here's, here's no the thing from my book sorry to interrupt but this is from oh, please uh, do prophet of evil this is george hw bush george hw bush on the auspicious morning of september 11th was meeting with osama bin laden's brother shafiq bin laden in the ritz carlton hotel in arlington virginia the discussion concerned carlisle group business and took place no more than 500 yards from the Pentagon in Pentagon City, where Flight 77 would supposedly crash into the southern side of the building. I'm, I have a question. What do you do? You think it was another ritual, the Las Vegas shooting? Because nothing, nothing came out from that, and everyone acted like nothing happened. There's so many shootings, and no one gave a fuck. No motive, no nothing. Just like, hey, he shot him. See you later. I don't know. I really don't know what happened with that whole thing. The guy was weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened with that shoot. I mean, those people really died. That was not fake. But uh, I don't know what the motive was. I've heard that his girlfriend had a connection back to the Philippines, and she was a Muslim. Do you ever hear that story? Well, I mean, there's – no, I haven't. What no. is the story now? I'll but just to follow – just one more thing to follow up with Bush. Bush is across from where Bill, uh, Flight 77 hits the Pentagon. The number of his – um, the aircraft carrier named after him is 77 and he's, I have pictures in my book of him wearing a cap with like the number 77 on his, on his head. So, he's well, you got know, all the number numerology down and dude, he like, dude, do you know his story about getting shot down changed like five times? Yes. He didn't get shot down. Just like his, his son never was on base. They just did that to play the game. And then of course, when his, uh, what's his face runs against him. 
Uh, who was the who was not who who were the two people that ran against George Bush Jr.? Um, was it? It was Kerry and Gore, right? Kerry oh yeah, when Kerry, when Kerry ran, fellow Skull and Bonesman, right? Yeah, and then they do the public humiliation, which is you you lied about Vietnam when everybody knows George Bush didn't even go. He wasn't even part of it. It's the big lie. You're telling me that Prescott Bush sent his own son to fight the Nazis that he himself was funding. That's what you believe. Come on, man. Yeah. I mean, there's psychos, but come on. Have you ever heard the rumor of George Bush jr. um, Being in a satanic cult on the South of the uh, Rio Grande in Mexico. That's really where he was for a year. No, please. Okay. So you've ever heard of the Matamoros killings with Kilroy and the guy Adolfo, Constanza, you ever hear that story? No. Can you okay, tell so there was this a Satanist, a really heavy-duty Satanist. He practiced Palo Mayombe, Mayombe, and it was a kind of uh, something that had come from Africa through Cuba. But he went to he was they're called narco satanicos in um, Spanish, but in Mexico, he actually was like a palm uh, reader of tarot cards and things like that. But he was killing people and dealing drugs, and he set up shop in Matamoros. And for one of his rituals, he wanted to abduct, abduct a gringo. So his friends went out to a bar and abducted some guy after drinking all day. His name was Kilroy. They took him back and they sacrificed him. And they put his body in the ground and rotted it off. And, and the guy, the practitioner, took his spine and put it around his neck like a necklace when he would do his Palo Mayumbe rituals. But the, the thing is, is that... Adolfo Constanza was just one of many people in that area of Mexico who ran these satanic cults going back for hundreds of years. So there was a variety of occultists. It's really a weird story, but you can read about these different satanic cults that were in this kind of south of the border area. And they practiced weird types. I mean, it's Satanism in a very general sense, but they practiced all kinds of kind of weird Native American type rituals. But George Bush was rumored, and you can, this was totally covered up. He was rumored to be hanging out in one of those for a year. And the band, if you ever hear, if you ever hear Ministry, the band Ministry? Yes. So Rio Grande Blood is all about that story. So you can see the album Rio Grande Blood is about George Bush Jr. being in that place. And you can play the music for it. It's all about this. And the rumor of the story is that when that thing was, when George Bush left, Somebody wanted that whole tale done. And there was one story that is lost to the public. But what happened is the story was that all members of that cult were liquidated and killed. But there's little pieces of it that exist to the present. And one of those pieces is actually kept by a cruelly knowing band called Ministry. And their their album, Rio Grande Blood, was nominated for a Grammy. And it's about it's based upon that story. You know, so it's a weird feeling because you're like, okay, so George Bush Jr. was in a satanic cult where they murdered people. And then George Bush got them all murdered. So it's like, I don't know how I feel about that. I've got to like, okay, George Bush, you're a scumbag, but occasionally broken clocks right twice a day. Right. And they murdered the murderers. And I'm okay with that. We live in crazy times. And again, man, it's just like, even if you don't believe any of this, it doesn't matter because they believe this. Right. And Look at George Bush Jr.'s life. He grew up in Yale at 
the skull and bones, spends all his time at Bohemian Grove. He doesn't hang out in churches. He doesn't know any of that. He's experienced a completely different type of life. And dude, Obama is a Bush. That's what they say. His, his, His grandfather and George Bush Sr. are like 10th cousins, and they basically started the CIA. I, I mean, the dude used his own daughter as a MK Ultra sex kitten. And, and I mean, when you look at MK Ultra, they think the K, the MK is from magic. You'd be surprised. Wouldn't surprise me at all. William Ramsey, you always come. You drop the hammer of the gods on these unsuspecting fools. Uh, congratulations on your new book. For Thank those you. who uh, want to find out more about you, where can they go, sir? Well, I have five documentaries on Vimeo. One is Prophet of Evil. So if you want to see a visual representation of all my research into Aleister Crowley 9-11 and the New World Order, you can see it there. You can see your current so-called President Biden talking about the New World Order in that documentary. My books are available at my website, WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com, also on Amazon. And I've been doing a lot of work on kind of a podcast broadcast, which is really an investigatory podcast broadcast titled William Ramsey Investigates. I have a whole bunch of different authors on different subjects, but we're talking a lot about very timely topic 9-11 right now. So if you want to check that out. I want to end on this, brother. Do you think we're winning? Do you think light is winning or darkness is winning? Well, I think that we're in a really life or death battle right now. And I hope that the light wins. But uh, the sad thing is that they probably have plans and plans and plans. And at the begin- at the end of Prophet of Evil, I said that they would be using vaccines to, uh, you know, in- enforce the new world order. And I wrote that back in 2010. And I think that's what's happening now. I think they're the trying their hardest. Yeah, I so- think they fucked up. Pushing I, I wouldn't touch any of those vaccines. Of course. Yeah. So those are super dangerous. There's definitely other therapies for COVID, but, but it uh, is new world order. It is new world order. Yeah, I met, I, so. I met some, uh, I met some Mexicans the other day at the shop. I was asked, they didn't want to speak uh, English, ask them what they were here for. They came in just for the vaccine. Yeah. From people are crazy. World it's order. not effective. It's not effective either. You probably it's a, dude, just listen. Do it's MRNA. Or, we talk about all the time. MRNA. It does not stop infection or transmission. It only stops for the first time severity. So once you get, if you get it again, COVID again, bam, you're, it's going to be worse for you. I mean, like, dude, they, I think they really fucked up by the boosters. What they should have done is waited until a certain number of people got the vaccine, got in vaccine passports, then started doing the boosters. But the greedy fucks, and I think they overshot their shot. And I think even the vaccine, I mean, like you see in Israel, to, people don't want to right. take a third and fourth uh, uh, vaccination. And I'm telling you, that to me, the fact that Israel is the most uh, a vaccinated country in the world and they're having humongous breakouts and their leaders are pushing boosters on them lets me believe in the Kazarians even more. Even more. It's crazy. Super All right, crazy. William. Anything left, man? I know I cut you off a no, little bit. It's great to end. be I'm with sorry. you. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. It's great to be with you. I could I could talk to you forever. because you and I have two different you just sit quietly with information and I scream like my hair is on fire. And it, 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 
There's equals, a lot to scream about. Oh my gosh. <laughs> equals great wow. information. You're a G. Once you get your, if your podcast and all that stuff's up, please send me a link in the email so I can list it so people can find it. I will. Will do. William, have a great week. Right, Thank you Take so care. much for joining us. Xavier, yeah, great thank to be you for you. joining us halfway through. I know you were on the run from the law. We appreciate that. And Johnny, Johnny, wherever you are, hugs and kisses, buddy. We love you guys very much. Hope to see you in Huntington Beach, Kansas City, and Omaha, Nebraska. Holla at your boy. Take care and have a great week. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink. From the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack, Tim foil hack.